In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. So good to be back with you today on this podcast as we're looking at making disciples of Jesus, and we're walking through the master plan of evangelism, one of the greatest little books I've ever read. I don't know how many times I've read it. Uh, It just keeps getting better and better, and we've been walking through several weeks of it up to today, and we're going to be focusing today on supervision. Uh, But before we jump into it, I want to tell you a a story, something that happened to me years ago. I had taken a a group of young people from our church down to Jamaica, um, not on vacation, on a mission trip, and we'd gone to the south end of the island uh, in a place called Black River. What was so cool about Black River was uh, it's where they filmed James Bond, uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah, I'm dating myself here, but um, it was really a very hot, sticky environment, and we were uh, sleeping on the floor of a church and uh, ministering to uh, some kids from the community, doing a vacation Bible school thing, you know, kind of your typical youth group mission trip thing. And uh, one day I remember we um, were planning on um, – uh, we'd had 100 kids or something like that, so we had enough uh, toys and balloons and things to do what we did. But one of the uh, people said, hey, there's a school right around the corner. We should uh, go over there after we're done and invite the kids from school to come over. And so somebody thought, yeah, that's a great idea. And and I went to the store to buy water or something. And I remember coming back to the church grounds there, which was not big. It was kind of small. And there was my team of, of, of young people, and there was a sea of children <laughs> behind them, it, almost as far as you could see. It was, it was unbelievable, hundreds and hundreds of children uh, my team was completely overwhelmed with the result. They didn't know what to do. We didn't have enough supplies. We didn't have enough space. We didn't have enough anything. But they somehow, they made it happen. And the kids had a great time, and the t- teenagers had a great time. And I remember sitting around that evening talking about it, and the stories that these uh, teenagers were telling were just uh, so uh, funny and exciting, and they were sharing. And did you see the? Like I went to ask this one kid, and you know, forty kids came up to me, and I didn't know what to do. And it it just reminded me of kind of what Jesus must have experienced with the disciples when when they went out. He sent them out, and when they came back, they were like, "You won't believe what just happened to us." And so it happened under this this principle we're looking at today called supervision. Well, the first uh, of the eight principles that Jesus used that we can use, uh, there's selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, delegation. These are all the things that Jesus modeled for his disciples so that when he told them to go make disciples, they knew what to do. They would just follow his plan, and it worked. I mean, here we are. But the seventh aspect of this is supervision. And what it basically means is, is that Jesus kept a check on them. He made it a point to meet with his disciples uh, following their tours of service. You know, he would send them out, and then on sending them out, it was really about uh, decompressing and hearing the stories, the experiences when they came back. And so they had to report back to the other disciples in Jesus uh, and to share with them the, the blessings of the ministry that was going on. 
And so his teaching rotated between instruction and assignment. It wasn't just all about information. The kingdom of God is like, you know, in stories. He literally, literally gave his disciples assignments. And when they came back, they had to report on them. Now, if you were in the education world at any point in your life, middle school, high school, college, grad school, you know that's a part of the education. You take what you learn, you apply it, you experiment, you bring it back. So many times in the church, though, we drop the ball on this really effective principle. And so I wonder if the people that you're discipling in your groups or the people that you're providing spiritual leadership for, I wonder if you ever give them assignments other than just read this. Well, Jesus certainly did with his disciples. And when they came back from the assignments, his questions, his illustrations, uh, his, his admonitions, his requests, they were all calculated to bring out those things that they needed to know in order to fulfill his work in the world. It was all for a purpose and a plan. And so uh, Robert Coleman in his book says that not long after the 12 were sent out, they gathered themselves back together with Jesus to talk about all that had happened in Mark 6.30. And I often think he must have felt like I did as that pastor when the, uh, all the young people were coming back going, you won't believe what happened to us. Can you imagine the stories of the 12 when they came back? Um, and so this, these gatherings, so to speak, were, was, was Jesus employing supervision. And so uh, these gatherings that he had with his disciples after he sent them out show us several things about his plan. Uh, it's obvious that Jesus had this regathering in mind before he ever sent them out. I mean, before he told them to, in Matthew 10 to go to the lost sheep of Israel or even there in Mark 6.30, uh, what we see is that he knew he was going to gather them afterwards to really experience. And, and it's part of their learning. It's part of that education. And so uh, while he had this in mind beforehand, uh, it also provided them a place to rest and process all that they'd seen and heard. Uh, We don't know how long they were gone. We don't know if it was a few days or a few weeks. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Um, But we do know what's clear is that they were expected to come back to the group and share their experience. And so last week we talked about delegation. Jesus would delegate responsibilities to his disciples. And so this is, supervision is just a natural follow-up to delegation. One of the practical ways I like to use uh, this in my groups is having people pray over their spouse. Now, you may say, well, Mark, doesn't everybody do that? Well, that's a good question. Do you? I mean, a lot of the men in my groups, you know, they may pray with their spouse over dinner, or if they're going on a long trip, pray for safety. But what I like to do is to give my uh, the guys that are in my groups— and my wife has her group, and give them assignments. And then next week when we come back, let's all talk about how it went. I remember specifically one man I had, I said, all right, everybody go home, and I want you to pray over your spouse. Not pray for your spouse, pray over them. And then come back next week and tell us about how it went. Well, I write notes, of course, in mine. So when they came back, I said, so how did it go? And one guy spoke up, and he said, you know, I've been married for years to this wonderful woman, but... Praying over, in other words, talking to God about her and letting her listen in. That's what we call praying over your spouse. He said, I was so nervous. I I came out of the bathroom and I was going to kneel by her bedside and just start praying. He said, I got anxiety. I went back in the bathroom again thinking, what's wrong with you? And he was telling the group about this. And another guy said, yeah, me too. I had the same thing. And they were encouraging each other. Uh, And I said, so how did she respond? And I I almost could sense how it was going to go. And he said, you know what? She wept. 
It meant so much to her that I would kneel by her bedside and take her by the hand and just pray over her. Well, I had an idea that that uh, the wives of the men in my group were going to like that. Uh, I didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out. But given the assignment and having them come back, I'll never forget that. It was such a rich experience. And now the commitment is, is hey, I'm going to do this all the time. So it would it takes it beyond the teaching of the moment to the experiencing of the moment. And when we experience something, we really learn it much better. Another aspect of this supervision was it must have given Jesus just pure joy to see the enthusiasm in his disciples' eyes, to hear their excitement in their voice, uh, the way that they probably talked over each other and laughed at each other's stories and of what had happened. And, and listen to how Jesus responds to them in Luke 10, 17. I'll read to you just a few verses here. It says uh, in Luke 10, 17 through 19, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And now think about this. He sent out the 72. He's already done this with the 12. That was been a, a cool reunion. But imagine when the 72 come back and imagine what that party and those stories were like. And they come back and it says they return not with fear or exhaustion. They returned with, there it is, joy, with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18, Jesus replied this weird saying here. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Now, when you read that verse, read that verse in the context it was written. This doesn't mean we're supposed to go picking up and playing with snakes and spiders and scorpions and all that. Of course not. I hate, I hate those reptiles. I can't stand them. What he's saying is, is that I know, I get it. You're so pumped about even the demons uh, submit to you in, in, in his name. He said, hey, I, and it's not a one up here, but he's saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there. I get it. And it must have brought Jesus so much joy to see the excitement and the joy of his disciples because of this, this assignment that they'd gone on now and had come back. And so what Jesus had been working on for all these months was, was beginning to, to happen right before his eyes. He was seeing the fruit. Have you ever given a, your child, uh, if you have children, or maybe you, you relate to this story, given them a chore and they exceeded your plan? <laughs> they exceeded what you asked them to do, and you just it brought you pure joy as the father? Now, I have four kids, and they're all grown now, but... We call them North, South, East, and West because that was their personalities. And I will be honest, I love you kids if you're listening to Dad today, but uh, they didn't often exceed my uh, plans on chores. But there would be that time that they, they did. And I can tell you as a father, it brought me so much joy. It must be how Jesus had felt. I, I remember when, the, when my, the young people came back down there at Black River, Jamaica, uh, telling the stories. I remember I didn't need to teach anything. I didn't need to remind them of Scripture I didn't need to say anything. I just got to sit there and soak it up. I think I got a little glimpse of what Jesus must have felt like watching his disciples get it. So once again, Jesus uses this moment as a teaching moment. He's the master at doing that. And, and, and he, so that they didn't lose the proper perspective, he says this in the verse right after that in Luke 10, 20. He says, however, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, do you see that? Full of joy, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This passage of Scripture is in the context of what must have seemed like a proud father listening to his children as they're rejoicing over this newfound spiritual strength. And just think about it in the context of supervision. If God has entrusted men and women to you to to disciple, to lead, to invest your life in, imagine the joy that can come when you give them assignments each week and have them report back on it of how it's going. Well, Jesus certainly did this. This is a key element to his plan. He, He gave his disciples assignments and let them experience and then come back. It's so brilliant. Years ago, I trained to be a mediator, a domestic mediator, a divorce mediator, a civil mediator. And it was so weird going through the training of this because I'm a pastor at heart, and I'm a coach, I'm a counselor, and I was sitting with a bunch of lawyers in in this training facility, and they kept looking at me going, what do you do again? I'm a pastor, I'm a coach, I'm a counselor. They go, okay. And I'd go, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. Okay. Everybody in the training was a lawyer except for me. And it was, it was insightful, but I've got to be honest, it was, it was very interesting. What, what I learned from them, I have used in my disciple-making, because what happened is, in the content of becoming a, a court-ordered mediator, uh, helping people solve civil disputes or marital disputes or domestic disputes, a third of the learning was content and two-thirds was role-play. I was shocked. I mean, we had content. We had pages and books and videos and all this kind of stuff and lectures, but it was only about a third of it. The other two-thirds was, okay, now we're going to take what you've learned and we're going to apply it. And we would role play these different scenarios in front of each other until when we walked out of that training, not only did we know what to do, we had already experienced doing it. I think this is a key element to disciple-making And so if you're not already doing role plays in your discipleship groups, you really should give it a try. In other words, you may say to one of your friends, here's the scenario. Uh, You're going through a hard time. You see somebody at church, and you invite them to a cup of coffee. You're sitting in a Starbucks, and you start asking them, you know, how's life going? And they start sharing some challenges, and you feel the need to share the hope of Jesus with them. So we're going to watch you two do it now as a role play. And then we're, the group's going to give you feedback at the end of, the, say, the next six minutes. Ready? Go. <laughs> it's nerve-wracking, but it is the best training you can do. It's no longer just a preacher sharing information. It's you getting to take content from Scripture and applying it to your life. I learned so much from the mediation training that I use now in my discipling. And I'm so grateful for it. And so in Matthew 16, 5, there's another passage of Scripture that I think is very important. And I wanted to share it because Robert Coleman uh, in the book, in this chapter, really expounds on it. It's Matthew 16, 5 through 12. I'll just read the passage and then we'll come and talk about it. It says, When the disciples reached the other side of the lake, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, 
Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that if you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread, be a, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So this passage of Scripture is so interesting because what's happened is, is Jesus is, they've got this problem in their life. They didn't bring any bread. Somebody forgot it. You know, it's probably Peter. We always pick on him anyway, right? And so Jesus uses this teaching moment about beware of false teachings, and they apply it to the immediacy of the moment. Well, what about the bread? I'm hungry, like baby birds. And then he goes back to this scene where they had already, he had provided bread on other occasions that they didn't have it. And it was almost like he was revisiting a teaching moment from their past. I think it's a very, another important principle of supervision is when you're, you're, the people in your group are going through a difficult time or they're faced with some kind of challenge, is to ask them, when in your past have you been faced with a challenge that God delivered? Tell us about that. It causes them to kind of relive how God has always provided. God has a perfect track record of provision. I mean, for all of us, we can, if we're honest, we'll say that. And so, again, it's a way that you can supervise, but we certainly see Jesus doing it all over the Scripture. There are so many places where Jesus checked up on the disciples, but we simply miss them reading the Gospels. But don't forget that supervision was a part of Jesus' plan, and it should be a part of our plan too. So how are you supervising those that you're discipling? Simply put, education means more when we can apply what we're learning. And so Coleman says, in this chapter, the important thing about all this supervisory work of Jesus was that he kept the disciples going on toward the goal he had set for them. He did not expect more from his disciples than they could do, but he did expect their best. And this he expected always to be improved as they grew in assignments, and constant checkup was calculated to bring out the best that was in them. When we properly delegate and supervise the men and women we've been entrusted to disciple, it literally brings out their best. If we love those that we're investing in, we will continue to check in, encourage, and lead by example. The way this has played out practically for me in the ministry is that when I disciple a group of people or individuals one-on-one over a period of time, whether it be one or two or three years, once that time is over and they've been fully trained to go now and disciple, my role changes to a mentor. I'm no longer the disciple maker. Now I become a mentor doing follow-up, checking in periodically, keeping tabs on how they're doing, trying to not let them fall through the cracks. And then the timing is up to, between them and God as to when they begin to form their own discipling groups or not. But the, the role for me changes from discipling to mentoring. Another role that follows that one is coaching, and this is coaching leaders. It's possible to coach leaders in ministry or in disciples um, making that you're not necessarily, uh, you didn't disciple them or mentor them, now you're coaching them. And so these different, we see in the life of Jesus even how his role changed 
throughout this course. Hey, as you're reading the Gospels from here on out, just start looking at places where you can see Jesus supervising these 12, or even the 72, or the 70. And I think what you'll see are practical examples of how you and I can supervise, follow up, mentor, coach those that we've been entrusted to. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited that God has uh, brought you to this podcast, and I just pray that you're encouraged, that you're not letting defeat or discouragement uh, knock you off course, but you're just staying the course. You're like in, in driver's ed, your hands are at 10 and 2 on the wheel, and you're continuing to live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle. Hey, uh, if we can be of an encouragement to you, 419disciplemakers.org. There's lots of free resources. And invite somebody to the podcast. Maybe uh, email it to somebody and uh, let them in on what we're doing here. And also send us your thoughts or your questions or your overall comments about this teaching, this training that we're doing. I pray that as this year comes to a close that the Lord would bless you in your efforts, that you would look back on uh, and be, just be grateful for those men and women who invested in you spiritually over time, and may that encourage you and propel you forward uh, to live like Jesus lived. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.